United States Marines actually have had a recruiting tagline that was considered one of the most successful ad campaigns of the 20th century. It was called The Few, The Proud, The Marines. The ad was actually shelved after 40 years because it didn't say what the Marines do or why they actually exist, according to a spokesman for the Marine Corps. Well, if you go to the Marines website now, the first words you'll actually see are, quote, the battle to belong begins here. Now that sounds to me more like a recruitment ad for a street gang membership, or maybe it's designed to attract the LGBT recruits. I'm not sure, but that's okay because today I would actually like to assign a new slogan to the few faithful medical doctors whose slogan they have shared based on their actions with the Marines, and that is Semper Fi, always faithful. They are called the Freedom Doctors, and they most certainly are the few, the proud, but also the brave, the caring, the ones who get the job done, kind of like the Marines. They too are on the front line, currently engaged in a pretty bloody battle, but this is not just to save American medicine, but to save America itself. You're listening to Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve LaTulip on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Joining me today is a very special guest, and his name is Dr. John Ward. Dr. Ward is a board-certified dermatologist. He is president of Dermatology Specialists, which is a four-state, 30-clinic dermatology network. Dr. Ward actually saw the abuses of the pandemic response, and he responded. He joined the fight against the tyrannical mask mandates and the lockdowns, and he, as a dermatologist, rendered early treatment to COVID-19 patients in addition to his regular dermatology practice. Now, that sets him apart from the rest. And by the rest, I mean from all of those woke doctors out there who bought into the lie that there is no treatment for COVID. That has been debunked beyond any doubt. Dr. Ward, I thank you for joining me today and welcome. Steve, it's great to be here with you uh, and happy to kind of share my experience and my story. Um, gotta say, I'm just so blessed to have uh, endured this pandemic in the state of Florida, uh, because quite frankly, based on what I've seen in other parts of the country, I probably would be in jail uh, if I was in other states that impose such tyrannical uh, restrictions on their citizens. You must be talking about the state of Oregon or Washington or California. Yes, in Oregon, I would have to agree with you. It has been a living hell for all doctors here, and it even goes beyond the COVID pandemic, but we'll get into that. So anyway, Dr. Ward, you spoke in the Florida House and Senate to push House Bill 1184, and that promoted free speech for physicians. 
Now, Governor DeSantis publicly supported the bill, and he featured you at a free speech press conference along with the state surgeon, General Joe Lopato. Would you please tell us about that bill and explain why it is so important for both doctors and patients? Absolutely. So uh, House Bill 1184 uh, was entitled Free Speech for Healthcare Practitioners. Uh, and the reason that I started this bill, funny enough, had, had almost nothing to do uh, with COVID and the pandemic. It's just that COVID uh, and, the, and, and the reaction to COVID and you know, the talk of misinformation just amplified the need for this bill. Um, so the first time I got in trouble with uh, my uh, American Board of Dermatology uh, certification uh, was not for, uh, you know, uh, talking about early treatment or the ridiculousness of masking. It was when I made a pronoun joke about uh, Assistant Secretary of Health, uh, Rachel Levine. Um, it, uh, a, a transgender activist had actually uh, complained about my pronoun joke uh, to my board certification uh, agency, and they took this complaint all the way to the committee that discusses whether or not a diplomat of the American Board of Dermatology should lose their certification. Um, so, so they did not uh, elect to, to take any action on my certification, uh, but it was quite shocking to me to find out that a Facebook post made on my personal account, um, making a flippant joke about, you know, transgenderism, uh, rose to the level of talking about taking my board certification away. Um, so, so then, uh, you know, when, when this whole push for misinformation by the Federation of State Medical Boards and the American Board of Medical Specialties came along, uh, I, I knew that they were already trying to uh, censor speech among physicians and that we must take the fight to them. So I authored a bill that I got one of my state legislators to put forth that would make it uh, clear that, you know, just because we agreed to help people as doctors didn't mean that we were uh, allowing ourselves to be silenced. Uh, you know, or have our livelihoods threatened. Well, it makes sense. So you're saying that this persecution with censorship actually began before the pandemic. And I do believe I recall evidence of that. Um, how, how far back do you say this would go uh, when it all began? Well, th this, th you know, the, the push to woke ideology in medicine uh, did begin before the pandemic. You know, the, the concept that American medicine is, is inherently uh, you know, biased against minorities and or biased against, you know, suppressed groups, you know, uh, the, the, these flawed theories were all starting before the pandemic. But, um, you know, I think what the, the powers behind these ideas about we, we would like to silence dissent, the pandemic provided them perfect opportunity 
to try to say, look at all of these people. They're, you know, talking about these other ideas. These people are bad and they're killing people by spreading these ideas that are unapproved. It it just accelerated their plan uh, and and this whole push for COVID-19 misinformation, which, of course, you know, the CDC has been proven to be pushing more misinformation than than anyone else out there, practically. Um, So, you know, they it's all to silence dissent. And, uh, you know, when you silence dissent, then you can push whatever agenda you want. It goes be well beyond medicine. Uh, and, and, you know, you saw it, though, with, with YouTube censoring physicians who were treating COVID patients. And then, you know, that got pushed into Twitter and then it got pushed into, you know, into Facebook and all of these. It's really just controlling the flow of information. Um, and, and we have to we have to do all we can do to make sure that I mean, we can't control what social media companies can do. But we have to make sure that individuals can speak out and can continue to earn a living. Well, that's a fact. And, you know, I would say that even before they started censoring our voices um, on social media, I saw perhaps about 10 years ago, this tendency to suppress free thought, even on our medical platforms, um, that where, where anybody that raised a question about something, uh, I noticed it was blocked or, or it was somehow being suppressed. And it progressively worsened. Now, you mentioned that this problem of oppression with suppressing free speech began for you before the pandemic. But, you know, usually when people join a fight for something that they strongly believe in, um, that tends to have repercussions many times. And unfortunately, not only are we the few and the proud, but we are also the bruised and and battered. And I'm just wondering, um, did you do you have your own battle story, Dr. Ward, as far as uh, when you actually started treating COVID patients? I mean, did that cause you a lot of uh, grief or heartbreak? Well, actually, um, you know, I never thought as a dermatologist that I would be involved in treating COVID patients. I had always thought that would be, you know, that the doctors in the hospital, the infectious disease physicians, the family practitioners on the front lines, and maybe some of the internists who are hospitalists. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, uh, what I found uh, is that, you know, my friends and family members um, who, who were, you know, falling ill with COVID were being told to just go home and do nothing. Uh, and, you know, I, I done, you know, I'm, I'm very big into doing my own research. And, you know, my own research led me to Pierre Corey and the Frontline uh, COVID Critical Care Alliance. And, you know, they, they had great resources. And I was, you know, as, as, I, as I found that and I, and I saw the the, the scientific research behind uh, you know, early treatments like ivermectin and like hydroxychloroquine and combining it with over-the-counter supplements like zinc and quercetin uh, and vitamin D, um, you know, the resources that they provided for anyone who was willing to actually take the time and read it, uh, I, I don't see how all of these, it, it was such a failure on the part of medicine to just assume that there was nothing that could be done. 
Um, and really a, a ton of people who were doing very, very poorly, uh, you know, were, I, I was treating them and they were getting better. Um, you know, I have a staff of uh, 250 people and, and working directly with me and my clinic are about 60 people of all ages, of all shapes and sizes with comorbidities and, and everything. And almost everyone in my clinic got COVID over, over the course of the last two years. They all took FLCC uh, protocol um, treatment and every single one of them, none of them ended up in the hospital and every single one of them ended up back at work as soon as their mandatory quarantine period was over. Um, and I think that's just a testament to how well the treatment protocol worked. Well, there's no doubt about that. I found the same thing when I treated COVID patients, um, but I do or did live in Oregon at that time, and um, I had no problems, actually. I mean, uh, it was known locally that uh, my staff and I were not masking, that I was treating COVID patients who, as you said, if they went to the urgency, uh, emergency department or urgent care clinics, uh, they were told to go home and suffer, um, isolate themselves. And I simply treated them and they all got better. But, you know, the fact is I really didn't have a problem until one day I spoke up and made it public. The fact that early treatment is extremely effective, and I had 100% success as well. No patients went to the emergency department. None were hospitalized. They all got better. So um, I think the real uh, persecution comes when you actually try to publicly oppose the government, which is now pushing something forward. And it's now obvious to the whole world that this, there's a huge chasm that has divided the medical community at large. And in my opinion, it seems to me like a matter of worship. You know, on one side of the gap, you have doctors who worship the golden cow of big pharma and with all their financial gurus and tainted players like Tony Fauci. Um, you know, they are saying one thing. And then on the other side are those of us who actually might worship God and remain faithful to our oath as physicians. And those folks are, are the ones who still put the patient first above everything else. And of course, those who bend a knee to the pharmaceutical cows are many, and the faithful few are still outnumbered. I mean, there's not many of us, relatively speaking, maybe 10%, and maybe it has grown a little more since then, but um, they are doing everything in their power to destroy us. So with that in mind, I mean, what would, would you describe some of the most destructive tactics that you've actually seen played against us? And what are the greatest threats that doctors face right now in the practice of everyday medicine? Well, uh, Steve, one, one of the things that, that uh, really stood out to me, because in February of 2020, uh, I was not awoken to the corruption uh, that, that exists in the National Institute of Health and the Food and Drug Administration and in Big Pharma. Uh, I, I assumed, like many, of, uh, many physicians did, that, uh, you know, these clinical trials were done, uh, you know, ethically and, and, and it, it didn't get published unless adequate peer review occurred. And, you know, I never... I never understood 
you know, the the kind of the, the revolving door between big pharma and the FDA, you know, basically the, the, the ones being regulated become the regulators. And then, yeah, they take a pay cut when they're working for the FDA, but then they go out and make a ton of money as soon as they're not. Um, so so I had never questioned uh, anything until until the pandemic. And really, it was the it was the demonization of, of drugs that made me uh, think that there were that, that it was the first time I ever questioned it. You know, um, as a dermatologist, I've used hydroxychloroquine for two decades to treat uh, connective tissue disease as an immunomodulator. Uh, and it's incredibly effective, incredibly safe. I mean, I've never had to take anyone off of it. It's so safe. Uh, and then when I'm reading the CDC and the FDA talking about how it's a toxic drug that comes at high risk and it's going to put put all these people into arrhythmia and kill them, um, you know, I, I was like, that's not true. I'm like, you. so so these these institutions that I actually revered and respected pre pandemic, they're the ones who discredited themselves by telling the public things that I knew to be untrue. Uh, and, and I'm shocked at the number of our colleagues who didn't see that happening as well. And also, you know, kind of woke up. It's, it's for me, it was surprising the number of doctors who should know better based on their clinical experience but then they just stayed asleep because it was inconvenient for them to wake up. Well, that sounds uh, an awful lot like what happened in the 1930s in Nazi Germany. I mean, they had about 50% of the medical doctors there who participated in Hitler's deadly agenda of eugenics and uh, genocide. And what do we have? I mean, I am, I'm not aware of the latest uh, statistics, but I suspect we have only about 10%, maybe uh, working up to 15% now of the medical doctors in the United States that actually do recognize the benefits of early treatment, the benefits of, uh, of just um, doing the things that make common sense. And that does not include masking. It does not include social distancing, because when you have a virus um, that is epidemic, any virus that is going to have that kind of infectivity um, is not going to be contained no matter what we do. So when it comes to just doing what is logical, this is what we've always been trained to do. And as you said, um, the, the frontline docs that are actually treating the viral infections are the family docs, the internists, the pediatricians. And I've never had a problem in my entire career as a medical doctor in getting control of even the worst of the worst viruses. And I've seen some very nasty viral syndromes uh, in the last decade uh, that very much mimicked COVID. So um, they were very easily treatable. But, you know, now we are being absolutely threatened um, directly uh, and indirectly um, every way they can, because they are saying that we are harming patients. Now, how, when we have nothing but success, do we harm patients? When we treat it, 
uh, any condition and have success in healing the patient, we're doing our job. So how are they actually um, threatening us with harm for something that we are doing good? I mean, how do they flip this around on us? Well, they, well what they're doing is they're making it such that because because no patient that you actually treat for COVID is ever going to come back and, and complain that you treated them for COVID. So so they have to control come through come to another control mechanism. So they are going to uh, through uh, entities that they have influence and control over. And those entities are the Federation of State Medical Boards. Those entities are the American Board of Medical Specialties. And so, um, and they need both of them. And here's why they need both of them. So if you live in a Democrat state like Oregon or Washington or California, you're going to have control over the state medical boards and those state medical boards will, will, will take the licenses away of doctors who, who, who are saying things that you don't like. Um, and of course, they're going to call that, you know, misinformation and or uh, unprofessionalism uh, for, for doing that. Uh, but uh, fortunately, there are, you know, free states like Florida and Texas and Arizona and, you know, the set most of the Southeast and, 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 and Midwestern states. Uh, and in those states, they need a different mechanism to, to control physicians. And that's where the American Board of Medical Specialties come into play. So, you know, the American Board of Medical Specialties, you know, your, your family practice board certification comes from the American Board of Family Practice. My dermatology certification comes from the American Board of Dermatology. Uh, and, and there is a monopoly, a stranglehold monopoly on those certifications, which unfortunately are required for us to, you know, be on hospital panels and insurance panels and medical staffs and all of those sorts of things. Um, so in states where they can't make an impact on the state medical boards censuring or sanctioning physicians for, you know, for treating patients who want treatment, they can go at you from your specialty board certification. Um, and that's why with my bill that, that I put forward that the governor supported and that, that, that the governor's actually going to help uh, get uh, passed through Florida next in the next legislative session, um, we, we looked at both tracks. We are prohibiting the, the Florida Board of Medicine from taking action on you in the state of Florida. And we will also be prohibiting um, national certification boards from taking any action based on the free speech that a physician has, um, which, which would be talking about, you know, treatments, early treatments, talking about not vaccinating people who, I mean, really with the, with the vaccine and the strains that are out right now, there's, there's no rationale for vac vaccinating or boosting anybody at this point. Um, yet, yet we're supposed to say, yes, vaccinate children as young as six months. It's absolute, like, I don't, the physicians who are telling parents to vaccinate six months old, those are the physicians who should be losing their licenses. Well, that's exactly right. Uh, six months to five years old, uh, these kids do not die 
from viral infections, from upper respiratory infections, unless they have something major going on like cystic fibrosis or some other autoimmune disease, but that's extremely rare. Um, John, I, I haven't made this public yet, so I'm going to state this. I just applied for a Florida medical license, and I did that because I'm hopefully counting on, for one, truth to prevail, but I also uh, have been informed that Florida, if there's any state that is going to do justice to medical doctors right now, it is Florida. Is that a false assumption, or, I mean, do, do you think I have a chance of being uh, licensed in Florida as a medical doctor who had a spotless record, mind you, before COVID. And truthfully, I still have a spotless record now, although I've been persecuted. It's, what do you, what's your opinion on that? What's your take on, on doctors that want to get licensed in Florida? I think that Florida will welcome you with open arms. Um, obviously you've got, you've got my contact information. So when your, uh, when your uh, application is complete and there and ready for review, let me know. And I will, I will let the appropriate sources know, uh, to look for it and to ignore the, uh, the, the, uh, you know, what, what the liberal woke Oregon board of medicine had to say, um, let's just say the Florida Board of Medicine cares about actual patient care and outcomes and not about whether or not you required everyone in your office to wear a mask or not uh, to follow Tony Fauci. Um, and that's a wonderful thing about what our governor is doing. And um, in speaking with the with the governor and surgeon general about the, my, my bill at times, you know, I said the great thing about this bill is it will make Florida the sanctuary state for physicians. Uh, and that's what you're saying is precisely the point that I, that, that I made, you know, as selling the bill to legislature legislators, you know, cause they want to know, well, why do we need to do this? No other States doing this. Why do we need to do it? I said, there is a subset of remarkable doctors who are tied. They're, they're in New York and they're, they're, they're in California and they're in these other States and they're due, and they haven't moved yet because there's nowhere to move yet where they're safe. I was like, we pass this law in Florida, and then you let California take all the illegal immigrants, and let California, you know, be sanctuary for illegal immigrants. Let's let Florida be the sanctuary state for doctors who will provide exceptional patient care, and that's precisely what. Uh, we will be doing and we will be gladly taking American trained physicians who are coming here to escape COVID persecution. Well, I think it's a very noble cause. I think it's something that needs to be pursued. And frankly, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I'm sure that I will be asked to come and present uh, before the uh, State Medical Board of Florida. And I look forward to that because if we can have an honest and open discussion and talk about facts and about uh, the best medical studies, uh, there should be no problem whatsoever. But I also hope that Florida might not only be a sanctuary state for medical doctors who have been persecuted, but I'd like to think that what they do can spread to other states when they see the good that results from this, because um, 
this obviously is what's happening in medicine. It's not only crazy as people call it, but it is illegal. It is unconstitutional. And therefore we are in a war that goes way beyond just medicine. And um, I think that there's much good that can be um, done with doctors that are given an opportunity to be treated according to the constitution. And that was my primary uh, incentive for applying in Florida. So I hope you're right. I hope it, it is a very good thing. And uh, we will soon find out because I actually do have all my information submitted. It's just got to get there and it won't be long before we have the answer to that. Well, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. Welcome back to Unity Without Compromise. This is your host, Dr. Steve LaTulip, and I have with me today my guest, Dr. John Ward. Now, remember, this show airs at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, and it has an encore at 5 p.m., both on Saturday and Sunday. You can access all the prior podcasts as well as my weekly columns at americaoutloud.com. Remember also, I wrote a book, Unity Without Compromise, a biblical basis for Christian union. And the inspiration for this book was uh, to get people simply back to 
the Christian truths of the Bible and to get people back to living as Americans who are one nation under God. Well, today, Dr. John Ward is joining me, and we've been discussing the few, the proud, and the freedom doctors who are Semper Fi, always faithful, serving on the front lines in the raging war against medical fascism. The real difficult question to answer in this fight is this, how can physicians organize to enact necessary changes to bring back some sanity to medicine? You know, every few days I hear from new doctors who are being attacked by state medical boards um, simply for treating viral infections with hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or even more prevalent now for exposing data on the dire harms caused by this fake vaccine. I don't think that the public realizes yet that even though we aren't hearing much about COVID anymore, the COVID persecution continues against doctors who are simply being faithful to do their jobs as they were trained to do. So what do we do about this? What changes do we need to enter uh, to, to effect um, a healthy medical system again? Dr. Ward, what would you say that we should be doing as freedom doctors right now? So right now, I think uh, organizing with like-minded uh, physicians to tell the truth. Um, and, and I know that it's very difficult for, um, you know, so many physicians are now employed. They don't, they aren't, they aren't self-employed. They're um, employ, employed by hospitals or employed by insurance companies. They, they may be employed by private equity firms who have bought up groups of practices. And, uh, and, and so they do it at some level of personal risk. Um, you know, they may get told by their employer to, you know, stop talking. Um, but, you know, you, you just have to do it because um, if, if you don't, people are going to be harmed. And, you know, we took our took our oath to uh, to, to first do no harm. Um, and when the when the mRNA vaccines first came out, I was not, also I was not as skeptical about them as I should have been. You know, I was, uh, you know, my parents who are in their 70s and they're, you know, high, relatively high risk due to their age. Uh, you know, I was trying to secure, you know, the, the Moderna or Pfizer for them back in January of 2020. And I, I actually thank God before I could find the vaccine for them, they both caught COVID <laughs> and, and and I was able to give them early treatment and, uh, and and they both did excellent. And the funny thing is they then asked me, they said, well, well, well John, do I need to get vaccinated now that I've had COVID and recovered? And you know, I, I, I told them what at the time I didn't think would be controversial among uh, practicing physicians. I said, well, of course you don't need to get the vaccine. Now you've already had the disease. You have immunity. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't need a vaccine now. Um, you know, and, and it's just funny when I told them that I was telling them that based on, you know, decades of, 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 of immunology, uh, train, uh, immunology teaching and medicine. Um, and I, I guess I found out a few months later that that was absolutely false and we should be telling them to, to, to not only, you know, get revaccinated to the disease, that, to the virus they already had, but they would need boosters every three months as well. Uh, you know, someone needs to send, send me to the re-education camp, I guess. 
Well, you're exactly right. Um, I mean, when you talk about natural immunity, something that is a fact in medical science uh, that we have known for decades and decades, um, you are now a misinformer if you say such a thing, despite all of the harm that is still mounting. I mean, we're still seeing reports of young people dying, athletes dying, kids dying, uh, heart disease galore. The injuries are incredible. Just recently, in fact, there were two studies um, revealing a Kreutzfeldt-Jakob-like uh, prion, uh, which is like a, a primordial virus. It's a pre-virus type infection that is very, very deadly. There is no treatment for it. And two studies have suggested that the um, the monkeypox, uh, even that has, has been spreading recently, has been genetically modified. And uh, we know, or at least we highly suspected, that there was a risk of prion transmission um, with the uh, with the COVID vaccines and possibly with the attenuated virus, uh, which is the SARS-CoV-2. Of course, that virus has already mutated and is long gone. We don't have COVID-19 anymore, but we still have the jab. And as you said, they are pushing that now on the youngest of our youth. And that is tragic and it must be fought to the full extent possible. So, you know, it, it shows us one thing that the majority of doctors um, just are choosing to be blind. They don't want to listen. They don't want to hear anything pertaining to real science. And they obviously have an agenda. And the they, uh, who is they? Well, the world elites, the big pharma elites, the CEOs of hospitals who have been bought off long ago and are reaping tons of money from this corruption. Um, you know, the problem is anybody who sides with that team it has to be morally and ethically blind. I mean, the agenda that I speak of goes far beyond medicine, as I said earlier, but they're still using medicine as a weapon to control the population. And we are actually seeing that, um, that they're going to do it again. And this is probably what they are trying to do with the monkey pox virus. Would you like to speak to that, uh, Well, yeah, I, I you know, I, I'm definitely concerned about how the uh, monkeypox has already been totally overblown. Um, my understanding based on all the, the research I've been able to do is it can almost entirely be linked back to a, a rave type techno music event in Spain that uh, all of these people attended. And even when you look at the people who weren't at that event, it's all linked back to men who are having sex with men. And so basically the only people who need to be concerned about, uh, about uh, monkeypox, based on what I can tell, are men having sex with men. Um, so the recommendation should be, hey, don't have, uh, you know, uh, don't don't have unprotected sex with other men that you don't know uh, and you'll be fine. Um, so that is that should be the messaging. But the CDC yesterday sent out some level two alert 
to tell people to be on the watch out for signs of it. And, and it was even at that point telling people to mask up again if they're traveling, um, which which I guess something changed about the science in the last 24 hours because they still have that level to alert, but now they've taken off the uh, need to mask up uh, for monkeypox. So, uh, and the media totally uh, in the tank about creating fear from of monkeypox. It's it's only in my research I've done outside of media reports where you can even find that all the cases are in men having sex with men. Uh, the, the media just acts like you know like. A, a kid, like a five-year-old, is just as likely to get monkeypox as you know, as 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 a you know man with multiple male sexual partners. Which you know we know we know that uh, one has zero risk of monkeypox, and one might get it if they continue to have that lifestyle. Exactly right. Uh, monkeypox is transmitted only by close, intimate contact. And in fact, uh, Dr. Robert Malone put out a good article uh, clarifying that the infectivity, uh, which is based on a new NU factor, new factor, uh, it's uh, the infectivity of monkeypox is less than one. I think it's something like 0.7, whereas the infectivity of coronavirus or any rhinovirus or adenovirus that causes the common colds during the cold and flu season, they have an infectivity uh, value of about seven and uh, the range goes up to 10. So when you've got a real high infectivity like that, you're going to have a pandemic pandemic, or at least something endemic. But with monkeypox, it's just impossible to have a pandemic of monkeypox. Uh, but all they need to do is generate the fear of getting it. And as you said, this is not something that children are going to be exposed to. It's not even a factor, but the real issue is going to be the smallpox vaccine, because if they can bring that back, then there is tremendous potential for harm through causing um, more damage, more immunologic damage and multi-organ damage from spike proteins or whatever else that they want to genetically modify the vaccine with. Um, we've already seen that with the current uh, so-called vaccines. And um, you know, that it, it, it reminds me that ignorance certainly is not bliss. You mentioned a term, uh, Dr. Ward, uh, called original antigenic sin. Could you explain that? Because I think it's very pertinent to what we are now seeing. Well, absolutely. So people want to know why are the people who are vaccinated and boosted like, like, like everyone who seems to be getting COVID all the time now are the people who were the most compliant with what the CDC and the NIH were telling them to do. And um, it, it really, it, it all goes back to reading about immunology, which this pandemic has, I mean, I started, you know, I'm a, as a dermatologist, I don't get, it's been a while since I've studied respiratory illnesses, but since we were heading into a pandemic and no one knew anything, I was like, well, I got, I've, I've got kids, I've got a family, I've got family members, I, I need to, I need to educate myself, I need to re read about, you know, respiratory viruses and immunology and um, one of the terms that, that I stumbled upon uh, was this uh, concept of original antigenic sin. 
And uh, it, it came about as, you know, the result of uh, there, there's basically two, two different uh, major types of, of flu strains that are related. And what, what, ten, what, what according to what I was reading, it, for, for many, many decades, one type of flu strain was the predominant type of flu strain. And then all of a sudden, a new flu strain came along and it, it disproportionately impacted the people who had never been exposed to it before. But, but the, the older population who that was the first flu strain they saw and it had gone away for many decades and it came back, it didn't affect those older people as bad as it did some of the some of the the younger people who had never seen that flu strain before and the thought being you your immune cells remember the first antigen that it saw the very first time and once it sees that antigen as part of the whole virus that's always the same antigen that it's going to react to. So, so like um, when you're getting and as you get more exposure to that same antigen, your immune system focuses even more on it. So in the case of, of coronavirus, uh, the COVID-19 and the vaccines, it's all based on wild type spike virus. Uh, so while the, the mRNA products that were focused on wild type spike may, may have been protective to, you know, for, to, in some people for those wild type, um, um, the, the, the COVID that was out back in 2020. Um, but when Delta came out, guess what? Delta looks way different than, than wild type spike. And Omicron has what 36 additional mutations, so it looks nothing like wild type spike. So people now get get these new strains that look nothing like what their antibodies to COVID look like, but their immune system is completely unable to recognize it. And because all they got was spike with the vaccine versus when, when you get naturally infected and have natural immunity, you get a broader immune response, but that was your first immune response and it's a broad one. So you're more protected. And so the, the original antigenic sin is the vaccine was the sin. You, you, you went straight for that one antigen you got antibodies to that one antigen, it's, but it's a very narrow response and it prohibits your immune system from ever making a broad response. Um, so literally these people who, who have been vaxxed and boosted, they probably to some degree are now required to keep getting it because their body probably can't make a broad immune response to COVID. So you're saying that anyone who has gotten the vaccine is likely to be sicker in general from at least from the family of viruses uh, that include coronavirus. Is that what you're saying? That that's what it it appears to be happening. I, you know, I'm not I'm not going to say it's a 100 percent, but that's what I'm seeing. Uh, and and we have prior knowledge of other viruses for that was true. So, um, and, and, uh, and of course, doing such research and publishing such research would probably never find the light of day. But, but if you want a plausible explanation 
for, you know, the multi-vax boosted population getting more COVID now. Uh, and, 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 and quite frankly, there, when you look at the percent of vaccinated people who are, who are the COVID deaths now, you know, you're actually seeing way more vaccinated boosted people dying from COVID than unvaccinated people now. True. That is true. Uh, there's been some debate about, is it because of the uh, multi-organ damage caused by the spike protein, or is it actually uh, because of antibody-dependent enhancement that is causing overreaction to any similar virus? As you said, if any virus uh, has any segment that can be identified by the immune system, it will trigger an immune response. And there's been increasing evidence to show that antibody-dependent enhancement does, in fact, take place. So uh, from what I can best tell, there seems to be multiple factors associated with this. And of course, one of the biggest things which you were actually describing is a suppressed immune response because it does not generate the appropriate response that you would normally see when you're talking about an exposure to the wild type natural virus with its spike protein and all the other proteins uh, associated with the virus. Yeah, yeah. The end, uh, you know, research coming out showing that, uh, you know, when vaccinated individuals get the actual virus and become infected, they don't make the other the other um, antibodies to to nucleic specifically nucleocapsid protein is the one that that is the one that that, that is being looked at mo most uh, commonly. But you know, ninety seven per a recent study came out showing ninety seven percent of unvaccinated people who got COVID and recovered uh, had nucleocapsid antibodies, whereas only about forty percent of vaccinated people who then recovered developed nucleocapsid antibodies, which it just, I mean, that, that just shows you objectively uh, that if you got vaccinated and then got infected, that your immune system isn't making as good of a response as it would have if you were unvaccinated. And it was, uh, and that was, not related to viral titer or viral load, because um, that was the thing. They said, "Oh, well, that's because that's because the people who were getting uh, who who got vaccinated didn't have as high of a viral load or viral titer." Um, and in this study, actually showed it was independent of that. Okay, so let's just ask a big question here. We know now that anybody that got Moderna, Pfizer, J&J, uh, any of the so-called vaccines, um, whatever minute benefit they might have received, that seems to be gone. But what we are left with is the question of how that is going to affect these people long-term. Now, from what we are seeing, there are people that are still dying and suffering from various injuries. And we have a lot of unanswered questions. Now, when I talk to the frontline docs, the freedom doctors who are actually treating the virus, uh, just like yourself as a dermatologist, stepping out of your specialist box to treat 
um, something that is crucial. There's a great need and you've stepped up to the plate. You've obviously done a lot of homework on this. And um, I think the question is, what, what do you think is going to be the overall prognosis for these people who gave in to taking the, the shot because of all the propaganda that pushed it? Well, um, you know, like with most um, inflammatory diseases, uh, which I believe, uh, you know, most of these uh, sequelae from the vaccine are related to immunological uh, issues with, with, uh, you know, inflammatory uh, side effects, you know, you're going to have, you know, it's going to be a chronic process that waxes and wanes. Um, You know, I'm I'm an employee uh, uh, who, who, who took Moderna right off the bat and, uh, she developed fulminant hepatitis, uh, autoimmune hepatitis. All of her causes were ruled out. Uh, she nearly needed a liver transplant. Um, she's on, she was on high dose immune suppressives. She's, she's fortunately, uh, you know, weaned almost completely off of her steroids now. Um, and this is a, this was a 29 year old totally healthy person with no medical issues who hopes to have children one day, um, you know, t- totally devastated by doing, doing what she thought was the right thing to do. Um, saw a gentleman in clinic yesterday who uh, I was doing a skin exam, but he, he's coming in to be checked for skin cancer because he's now on chronic immune suppressives because after his Pfizer shot, he developed CIDP, which is a, a demyelinating uh, polyneuropathy uh, that was, again, set off by he didn't want to get the COVID vaccine, but uh, because of travel he had to do to a country that required it. Um, he, he gave in and decided to get it and now is suffering serious consequences from getting getting the Pfizer vaccine. Um, so these are people who are going to have long-term issues um, that, that, that who knows what the outcome is going to be. Sure. And, and remember, there's a lot of people out there that don't even realize that they've been injured. And for many, it's going to be a matter of time and it's a heck of a way to live. I've seen a lot of vaccine remorse. Well, Dr. John, let me ask you this. If you had the chance to do it all over again, I mean, to become a physician, knowing that the mutiny of sound medicine was going to happen, would you still do it? If I were 18 today, no way. Um, Would I go back and do what I've done all over again? Absolutely. I I think when I went into medicine, we, we weren't dealing with this in school. I actually learned medicine. Uh, you know, when I was, you know, on the floors uh, as, as, a me- as a medical intern, uh, you know, I, I, I got to do my, my fair share of scut work and I didn't get to complain that I was being overworked. And, and I re- it was really wonderful. Medicine, medicine changed in this millennia. millennia I, 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 the interactions I have with most medical students now make me scared for myself when I'm 70 and I need, and I will need a good doctor. Uh, I, 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 I hate to think what the future of medicine is going to be like because they're not training uh, doctors to be independent thinkers. 
uh, and they're training doctors who now are just going to do what a higher being or power tells them to do. And we're all going to get treated by basically a cookbook approach, uh, which, you know, if it were that easy, then, you know, we, we could just let nurses do it all, couldn't we? Exactly. And it seems like that uh, is currently the trend. Dummy them down uh, as much as you can. They will follow the recipe and nothing good will happen for the patient. Well, we're about out of time. uh, And Dr. Ward, would you please give us some contact information if somebody wants to uh, talk to you or get a hold of you? Absolutely. I've, um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Dermatophyte, D-E-R-M-A-T-O-P-H-Y-T-E. I take uh, direct messages through Twitter. I've also got a uh, Facebook page uh, at John Ward MD. Uh, how, however, I'm pretty sure my Facebook page is under heavy, heavy suppression. Uh, so, so hopefully you, I have about 21,000 followers on Facebook, but, uh, but, but, uh, but I, I've had people tell me they have a hard time finding it. So. Okay. That, I guess you would expect that. That means you're doing your job and I <laughs> hope and pray that you continue to do it. Uh, Dr. John, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate your knowledge and your wisdom and for being willing to be a freedom doctor. Please continue that, will you? Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate your fight. And it, it, when you get that Florida license and, uh, and, uh, and move down this way, let me know. I, I know a lot of people looking for, some good, for a good family practice position. So as you can see, America is now definitely at a decision point. We must step up to the plate and we have to oppose those who really fully intend to enslave us. I mean, think about it. Our descendants are going to reap what we are now sowing. And for that reason, I would implore every American to please join the few, the proud, the courageous, please enlist in the army of faithful warriors and stand for truth and liberty and justice for all. There are many more of us than you might think. We need to recognize what's happening right now. And we do have a chance to shape some of the most powerful events in the history of mankind. When we can shout out those words, Semper Fi, and mean what we say, then we will remain faithful always to a loving and righteous God who blessed us with a Christian land that made us free. And then we will surely see victory. But we need to forsake all the lies. We need to speak the truth and live the truth. I hope that you'll make America a better place for being there this week. Until next time, adieu.